So anyways, uh, I just got to make sure. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Yes, they are. Who is everybody almost done with the tests and the grading? Okay. We are going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We finished up at verse 10 last week. Talking about the different gifts and how we need to honor one another and honor the gifts that Jesus has given to the body. And this week we're going to spend our pretty much our entire time focusing on the fivefold ministry gifts that are talked about in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Which is why I had you take this assessment. And after we have talked through what each of these fivefold ministry gifts are, I'm going to give these back to you, and you're going to find out which one you, or what your gift mix looks like. So that's why I had you take it. I really like, uh, I like this test. I think it's, it's, a, it's a good one. Um, I had my youth leaders take it about three years ago or so to help them understand where they belong. Gracias. Not this one. I think we did a gifts assessment, but not this one. We did two different ones. Because I don't, it all seems so familiar to me. I don't know if we like did it during like youth Oh, that one. I don't remember doing that one. I do. I remember. Because I just remember Tim Dale screaming across the gym. I do not have encourage. <laughs> oh, man, as if we'd. Trust me. Tim is my accountability partner, and so. <laughs> Anger is something he deals with on a regular basis, and a lot of times, a lot of times. Well, anybody that knows him already knows this, and he will like text me or call me to talk him off the ledge. So every once in a while, like just be like, I'm really ticked off right now, and I don't want to rip someone's head off. So will you please help me see this from a better perspective. I remember one time we were at winter retreat, and one of our leaders was wrestling with one of the kids and threw him into the wall and punched this big hole in the wall. It was like three feet tall and like two feet wide hole in the drywall of their room. And Tim came out just beat red. I mean, just furious. I'm never going to believe what just happened. And I was like, whoa, chill, you know, chill out, buddy. And then I went inside and and I looked at it, and I just looked, I, I looked at our leader and said, I expect better from you. You're a leader, you know. But I did not blow up on him at all. I was just like, FYI, whatever this costs, you're paying for it. And then, But I never – I didn't lose my cool. Now, I have anger issues. I do. That's I'm a ginger, so it's just part of the DNA. But Tim was so mad. And then, yeah. It really, there is, trust me. Yes. All right, so Ephesians 4, verse 11, says this. How are we doing? Who, who else still has tests that they're working on? Just keep working. You're good. You're fine. So as he gave, remember the context here, talks about um, the, the, the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of this chapter, says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And then he begins to describe what that looks like. He says, humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance, bearing with one another in love. 
appreciating each other as the gift of God to you and to the world because we are one body. And uh, then he kind of goes off on this very Pauline tangent, okay, um, where he talks about Jesus' ascension from the grave and how when Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that each of us has a special measure of grace from God that we are to be stewards of in the earth. And then the next section here, he talks about five specific categories of grace that are given. Now, this can be taken two ways, and I want you to understand this. Um, these five, what we call the fivefold ministry gifts, this, this is the office of Jesus. Jesus was all five of these to the church. And when he ascended into heaven, he dispersed these five gifts among the body so that through the body itself, his presence and the grace that he himself was stewarding while he was here on the planet could be stewarded on the earth. And these are the five gifts that we look for when we talk about, um, when, when we want to appoint someone to a, to a full-time ministry position, we're looking for one of these five gifts. Now, the reason I had every single person in here take this test is because even if you're not called to be a part of a full, full-time ministry, you still carry one of these or, or multiple of them inside of you. Every Christian has been given a measure of one or more of these graces from Christ. And so I wanted to give you a good idea based on this test of which one of those graces are more prevalent inside of you. And we all carry all five, I really believe that. But but there's going to be certain ones that are more prevalent with you than others. And you really should be understanding the call to mission that Jesus has over your life, whether it's full-time, part-time, what, or, or not even work-related at all. You're just, you're just supposed to be a volunteer. Um, that should be based on the, the most prevalent of these ministry gifts that you have. Okay, it should operate around that core. So if you are in a position where you're supposed to be really more of a pastor kind of gift, but you actually have more profit gift, you need to understand who you are in that and understand that you aren't going, you're going to wear yourself out trying to be a pastor and you aren't. And that's okay. When I first took this test, okay, I was the youth pastor of First Assembly. Okay, and I took the test and pastor was my lowest score. And I was like, what? I'm supposed to be the pastor. They call me Pastor Josh. And I was like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. How is pastor my lowest score? And, and I was a little offended, honestly, because that was not what I expected to get. But then when I prayed about it, the Lord was like, you know this. You know what your gift mix is. He's, you know, he was like, you are prophet teacher. You know that. You know, you, you know that you operate in the prophetic and you know that you have a teaching gift. You know that this is who you are. Why are you upset by that? Forget the, forget the title. It's not important. 
This is the role that I've called you to fill in this body. So I want you to step fully into that role, those two places of the prophetic and the teaching, and I want you to focus on those, and I want you to find pastors and evangelists and apostles that can step in around you and fill out the rest of that ministry picture. You know, I want you to find people with gifts that correspond to yours. And so that you can put those people in places of authority in your ministry so that you are a well-rounded ministry, not just focusing on one, you know, on one aspect of the fivefold grace that I've given to my body as the leadership of this, of my body. Now, does that make sense? So what this, this is not a, you should not feel bad about whatever comes up on there. What you do need to understand is um, that this primary gift, this primary grace is, is going to be how you're wired. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we walk through about what this gift is for. And then we're going to talk about what I call like the downside of someone who majors in that gift. What, what, that, what the person with that gift really cannot do extremely well or struggles to do. Does that make sense? So we're going to walk through those. Okay, so first of all, I, I also want you to understand, as you look through the uh, all the different – hey, how's it going? As you look through all the different uh, uh, gift lists, there's a million lists. Well, there's not a million. There's, there's, there's about five lists of – Shut up. There's about five lists in Scripture of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the thing is, every one of them is different. Every one of them is different. Now, they all, you know, some of them have a one gift on there, and then the next gift doesn't have it on there. And so they're in a different order. And so it doesn't matter. I think God did this on purpose um, so that we understand that these different lists of gifts there's actually more than are listed in the New Testament. There's other gifts, okay? Like, for instance, they didn't have the, the internet guru gift, okay? It's not on there. Well, you know, it's, it, okay? But, but the church really needs that person, okay? They didn't have marketing gift, but the church really needs that person. So there's a lot more gifts that are actually listed in Scripture. Some of these gifts are, are actually a category of gifts, like you'll find the gift of helps, okay? I think internet guru gift goes under that gift of helps. I really do. Okay. The idea is there's lots of different gifts. Jesus gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to manifest his grace in us individually in whatever form he chooses. The point is we have to honor the gifts that we see in other people. We have to recognize what they are and honor that gift and make space for that person to be who God created them to be. If you don't, there is a measure of grace that is on that brother or sister that you will not receive. So you're only robbing yourself when you keep others from exercising the gifts they've been given. You're keeping yourself from a gift. The gift is not given to you. Like I, you know, like I said, prophet teacher is really my those well, we'll talk about it later. That's not when I took this test again. Now it's apostle prophet. 
Pastor was still the lowest on the score. <laughs> By a lot. My, I got 18 on Pastor. Evangelist is next and it's 25. <laughs> so that's I, it's the lowest on my list. It really is. But that's because God has, has you know, kind of moved things up. And now it's apostle, prophet, teacher. Where before it was... It, teacher was highest and then prophet. So these shift over your lifetime. And I've actually seen this in my ministry also change as my role has changed. My And, you know, God's equipping me to do what what I'm supposed to do next and what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and I could oh, but that gift was not given to me. The gift is given through me to the body of Christ. Does that make sense? We talk about your gifts, and that's fine. But what that what we really need to understand is that you have been given this grace so you can steward it. So that you're releasing that grace through you into the body and into the into the world. The gifts that you've been given are not for you. They're for everybody around you. So when you don't exercise your gift, you're robbing the body of your gift. You're also robbing yourself of understanding the purpose for which you were created, but you are robbing the body of your gift. That gift was given to you to give away. That's what it's for. So don't you dare do it again. Your brothers and sisters need the gift that God's given to you. He's given it to you for a reason, and your brothers and sisters need it. And some of you are like, well, I'm just too shy. And the Holy Spirit has spoken something to you and you just don't want to let it out because you're really embarrassed. You're robbing us of whatever God gave you. You understand that? That's not okay. That'd be like, you know, your dad handing you a gift and saying, go give it to your brother. And you're like, I'm just going to keep it. That's not okay. That's not what you're supposed to do. So, now we're going to we're going to move to these these five gifts have been given specific purpose in this text which we'll get to we'll get to the what that whole purpose is but recognizing and receiving all God wants to give in these gifts is crucial Matthew 10:41 Jesus said honor a prophet as a prophet and you will receive a prophet's reward Okay so while it is your job to make sure that the gifts that you have been given are being released. It is our job to receive the gifts that have been given by everyone else because we are receiving something beautiful that God wants to give us through that person. And the only way we will receive a, prof a prophet's reward is by honoring the prophet. Now, Jesus was saying this to a group of people that were not receiving him as a prophet. He was saying, look, they're not receiving me and they're not receiving the reward that you get from receiving me. How many of you know, Jesus brought some pretty great things to the table. You know, sickness is healed, uh, people rising from the dead. You know, I'm just talking about his earthly ministry, let alone forgiveness of sins and eternal joy in the presence of the Father. Okay. But when he came, the Bible says his own received him not. And Jesus said of Nazareth that a prophet's not without honor in his, except in his hometown. They didn't receive him as a prophet, and it says, so it says in that in that scripture, Jesus could not do the amount of get the amount of things in uh, 
Nazareth that he had done in Capernaum and other places because he was cut off. They weren't receiving the gift, so he couldn't release it. So there are sick people in the streets of Nazareth that day that did not get healed because Jesus was not being received. Does this make sense to everybody? All right, let's move on to these fivefold ministry gifts we're talking about. The fivefold office or ministry gifts, there's, you, there's a bunch of different ways to talk about this. Um, but uh, the, the Stanley Horton, um, who is an Assembly of God theologian, talks about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you, you guys have his book, one of his books, or you read it in Berean. Anyway, um, he talks about these gifts. He says these gifts are for the establishment of the church and, the bringing, and bringing it to maturity. That that's what these gifts are for. Establishment of the church and bringing it to maturity. And that's, that is what the text actually says. I'm going to read to you from a book called Culture of Honor. Anybody ever heard of it? It is a great book. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, and he describes the fivefold ministry gifts as if they were coming upon a car accident and what each of them would do. Okay, so this is... I think I can best introduce the attributes of the fivefold anointings by describing what might happen if they all arrived together at the scene of a car accident. The pastor is the first one out of the car. He scrambles to assess the situation and begin a triage approach in applying first aid to injured victims. He gathers blankets, jackets, water, and anything else he can find to try and comfort them. He surveys the situation to see if anything is threatened is threatening the safety of both those who are receiving care and those who are being drawn to the scene of the accident. He talks with each person to find out his or her name, marital status, and whether he or she has children. He gathers vital sign information and any available emergency contact information in order to help the emergency response team when they arrive. He brings a sense of calm to the situation, and each person there feels a genuine feeling of care and connection to the pastor. He wonders whether he should have been a doctor. Yeah, that's what a pastor does. The teacher is next on the scene. He studies the situation in order to figure out what caused the accident. He steps back, notices the patterns of the skid marks and the distance each car moved before and after impact, and estimates the speed of each car at the point of impact. Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about who was at fault. His conclusion is that overall drivers need more training and would most likely benefit from mandatory classes and continuing education requirements. That's the teacher. Okay, The evangelist arrives on the scene and asks everyone lying in a safe, comfortable place, thanks to the pastor, if you were to die as a result of your injuries, do you know where you would go? Heaven or hell? He then notices that there is a large gathering of bystanders and people in their cars who have pulled over to watch. He begins to address the larger crowd with the same question. There are no guarantees that you will make it home safely. Do you know where you would go? People give their hearts to the Lord right there on the side of the road. He explains to all these new believers that the greatest gift you can ever give to someone else is the gift of salvation. He trains them to lead others to Christ and prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon them all. Afterward, he said, this was great, and decides to go purchase a police scanner when he gets back to town. The prophet... <laughs> the prophet knew this was going to happen because he had a dream about it the previous night. <laughs> because, 
Because everyone in the dream had survived the accident, he rebukes the spirit of death and declares with great faith and unction that all shall live and none shall die. He also proclaims that there are angels surrounding the scene of the accident and prays that the eyes of all the people's hearts will be open to see in the spirit. Then he walks around and starts to call the destiny out in various people. He releases a spirit of revelation within the group. And finally, and quite naturally, he begins to ask around to find out who is in charge at the scene. When he discovers the one in charge, he discerns whether this is God's chosen leader or not. Or if he finds that no one is in charge, he will appoint a leader. The apostle prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God into the scene. He begins to tell testimonies of when he has been on the scene of car accidents and witnessed the power of God manifest itself on those situations. The faith level of the people begins to rise. He then asks if anyone can feel heat in his or her hands. He puts those who raise their hands to work, praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He then opens a school for those who arrive at car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. Okay, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good. It's, 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 who has heat in their hands? Okay. That's a great, I really love that because it shows each, the response of each to the, you know, the, the, the car accident of the world and exactly what each, but you know that with that, all of the things that they did were good. Notice that none of them decided to do the same thing as the other. And that all those things are probably necessary. Okay. Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave us these fivefold ministries. He wanted to establish his, he wanted to echo his own presence in the earth by giving the five leadership gifts that he carried to us again. But he gave it to us, to each individual person. So let's begin with apostle. Now, um, I actually, I wrote down here that Danny Silk says the order in which these particular gifts need to flow comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Because it's the only place where it is very obvious that the Apostle Paul is giving a specific order to the gifts. He says, first this, then this, then this. That's the only place in Scripture where a specific order has been given. And Danny Silk, that's the guy that wrote the book that I was just reading. Um, he says that this is how authority is supposed to flow in the kingdom. Is from apostle to pastor to teach, or I'm sorry, from apostle to prophet, to teacher, evangelist, and pastor. That's the flow. And he says, when we get, when we get our flow off and out of, out of whack, that we'll be Im imbalanced as, as a church. He said, one of the primary problems of the church in America is that pastors have been given the lead role. Pastors and teachers have been given the lead role. When that's not their role, that it is the apostolic mantle that should be taking the should be taking the lead, and and the rest of them should flow out of it. Not that it's bad to be a, a pastor or a teacher; it's not, but that those aren't primarily leadership positions as far as moving the body forward. Does that make sense? But we'll get into that a little more as we move down. So, apostle, everybody with me? Apostle. Now the definition of this word apostle, it's not one we usually use, but it's, it's, uh, it comes from the Greek word, um, which means a messenger, envoy, 
or a delegate, one commissioned by another to represent him in some way, especially a man sent out by Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel. Um, the original 12 apostles, and we can also add the apostle Paul to that list, had a very specific and special place in the body of Christ. We're not replacing them with the apostolic gift that exists now. These men were appointed by Jesus. He, was, he told them they would sit as judges over Israel uh, because they were the apostles. The, those 12 were the apostles over the 12 tribes of Israel. And the apostle Paul was called as, as apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say this, but my guess is that he will be sitting in the place of judgment over the Gentiles, um, just as the other 12 apostles sit over the over the Jews. Now, so, yeah. So the, the one guy that replaced Judas, he's going to be in that spot? Yeah, Matthias. Yes. Okay. Some people that think the apostle Paul belongs in that 12, I disagree. Jesus said that they would be seated in judgment over the 12 tw tribes of Israel. So... I think Jesus had a specific job for those twelve, and uh, and I don't. I think the Apostle Paul was separate, still an apostle, still fulfills that same role, but the apostolic gift that is in operation now, the office that we're talking about, is an extension of that office, but it is not does not have the same authority as that office did. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, we're not still writing the Bible, folks. That's not happening. That era of the church is over, and now we are looking to the Word of God, which has already been written. So they had a special place, and Paul was appointed as apostle in the same manner, but to the Gentiles. So I love this gift and talking about it because it makes people squirm. It just does. It, when you start talking about the apostolic gift or flowing in apostolic, a lot, especially of my dad's generation— will begin to go, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, because they've, ne because our, in the last, you know, 50 years or so, we have not talked in terms of the apostolic or of the apostolic mantle. We've, we've totally lost a, an understanding of what that's supposed to look like. And, and we have, we have pushed pastor and teacher up to the top of the heap when that was not God's, that was not God's decision. But apostle and prophet are very, uh, they are supernatural gifts even more than pastor and teacher are. A pastor and teacher need to be, and we're going to talk about that. But you can pastor, you can give care to people, and you can teach without any, uh, without the Holy Spirit helping. You shouldn't. You're going to burn yourself out, and you're not actually going to help anybody, but you can. But you cannot be an apostle or a prophet without direct communication from heaven. It's just completely impossible to do it. Because, well, we'll, we'll move into the, the, and I believe, that is honestly, I believe, why the apostolic and prophetic offices have kind of been put like out here in the stratosphere. We don't really know what to do with someone who calls himself an apostle or a prophet. We're just kind of like, um, sure, you know, we don't really get it, right? Because they are dependent upon the supernatural. And the church, especially in the West, over the last couple hundred years, has moved further and further away from the supernatural. They just shun the supernatural. Even in the Pentecostal movement, there is a huge push right now in the Pentecostal movement to move away from the supernatural aspect of, of the body of Christ. 
they, the more and more churches are saying, we do not want people speaking in tongues in the services. More and more churches are saying, we don't want people prophesying, or if you do, you're just not allowed to call it that. Because it makes, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, a lot of the people who have wanted to flow in the supernatural have really gone off the deep end and, and abused it and, and, and acted as if because they were flowing in the supernatural, that gave them more authority over the church than, say, the actual appointed leader of that church, which is not true. We've had that wrestle in this church where a group of prophetic people many years ago rose up and began to actively stand against the, the pastor at that time in certain things. I will never forget. We had a woman get up. This is after my dad became senior pastor. Not long after he became senior pastor. We had a woman get up in the service and she stood, she said, God has given me a prophetic word. And then she, she said, judgment has come upon this house and upon Pastor Ron because he didn't do what God told him to do. And as a sign that I am from the Lord, he will be blind and dumb from this point forward until he obeys. My dad, I'm dead serious, this actually happened in a Sunday morning service. And, and, and <laughs> my dad did not speak for a moment. And we were all like, <gasps> the, the oxygen just left the room. And then he did something that I will never, ever, ever forget. Okay. This is one of those marks of a truly great man of God. Okay. He said, Father. I stand before you if there is any place in my life where I have not obeyed you. I ask you to show it to me, and I repent with all of my heart. And we waited for a minute. And then he turned to the woman and said, Now, I, will, I honor the prophetic office, but you are out of order. And he brought a teaching from the Word of God about how the prophetic office is supposed to work, about when you've been given a, a, you know, when you see someone in the church who is not doing what there's what they were supposed to do, how you're supposed to just walk through Matthew 18 and said, this is how it works. You didn't do that. And so I'm going to ask you to sit down and be quiet for the rest of the service. Now me, I think I probably would have been like, woman, what are you talking about? Ushers, grab her by her hair and carry her out of here. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's, that's, I would have totally, I mean, I would, I would have blown up on this woman like, you know what it is? Do I sound dumb to you? Oh, look, I can see, you know. I would have ripped her up one side of the but, but dad didn't do that. Dad was like, awesome. Because you know what it would have done? If he had done that, if he had done that, what would have happened to the prophetic office of our, to the prophetic office in our church? It would have been denigrated. It would have been shut down. Just If no honor had been shown to the prophetic in our midst, it would have just left. And he had such a value for the prophetic in our midst that he refused to despise prophecy in front of the whole congregation, even though he was being personally attacked. Now, that's what I'm talking about. But that is not what most of the church has done. Most of the church has said, that is crazy. We can't deal with that. It's out. So they've stopped teaching about the prophetic and they've stopped inviting people to enter into that gifting. They've stopped um, talking about what an apostolic mantle even looks like or even works like. 
and they have completely walked away from these things that that are supposed to be the very front bleeding edge of the body of Christ, and they have just sat back on them and said, we don't want them because they're not controllable. And they're not because God's the one running the show. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's why it makes people squirm, okay? But what the apostle was supposed to be in our midst was the, the builder of the infrastructure of the church, the one who set things in order, who said, this is our DNA, okay? Uh, the apostle Paul calls himself in 1 Corinthians 3, he calls himself the master builder. The apostolic and prophetic giftings in this book that we've been studying in Ephesians have been referred to as the foundation of the house of God. That Jesus is the chief cornerstone and that the rest of the foundation is built of the apostolic and prophetic gifting that has been given in the past and, and today. You have to understand, this is the beginning. The apostle... This is uh, from Culture of Honor. The apostle will make the presence of God, the worship of God, and the agenda of heaven the top priorities in the environment. The apostle is looking into heaven and saying, this is God's, this is God's blueprint. And he's bringing it to earth and saying, this is what it looks like. He's saying, as in heaven, so on earth, Father. And he's, he's saying, this is the blueprint from heaven for this body at this time in this moment. That's their job. They're the builders, the architects of the body of Christ. Um, Mike Breen, who's the guy that wrote this test you took, uh, says, apostles are visionary and pioneering, always pushing into new territory. They like to establish new churches, ministries, nonprofits, kingdom-minded businesses or initiatives. They come up with innovative means to do kingdom work. They are constantly laying new ground. They set the lines. That's what they do. Now, the Apostle Paul would come in, set the lines, and then get out. That's what he did. In some places, it took him longer to do that than in others. But that was his ministry. He would come in. He would set up a structure. He would make sure that it was good and strong and sound, and then he would go. That's, what, that's how he operated, and that's how most... Apostles operated. People that I have talked to and worked with that have apostolic mantles are, they don't sit still well. They love creating systems. They don't like maintaining them. They love, uh, like, raising people up, kind of uh, discipling them for a short period, and then saying, and I'll see you later. You're good. Run. Okay? That's what they're good at. They're good at raising up leadership but they're not good at managing. Okay, my youth pastor was this kind of a guy. He was he was constantly spinning off new ideas, new stuff, new, you know, and because of that the youth ministry really grew. But we also had this huge wide open back door because he had no idea how to disciple. Now he was also an evangelist, but we're going to get there. They the apostle establishes the system they look to heaven by faith and set up a mirror on the earth. They call and train the first few, and then they go. A leader and a trainer of church leadership, that is who the apostles are. They are the DNA formers. They're the culture creators. Okay, They love to create language that everyone uses. 
Some of you are already beginning to think of people in the body of Christ that are fulfilling that role. Think about men and women who have created language and put and that, that people use now. Can't think of Rick Warren. A lot of people don't like him. They say that he's, you know, Chris Long, give me a break. You don't know him at all. Go read his books. Okay? But he created language that now most in the body of Christ in the United States still uses, including this one. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that book, but okay, I think of John Piper, I think of Tim Keller, I think of uh, C.S. Lewis. I th well, he's more of a teacher really than an apostle, but these people who are culture molders, culture shapers, everybody else is kind of like trying to run to catch up to where they're at. They're always a few feet in front of everybody else. Okay, They establish doctrine. So this is the person that you go back to. You know, where somebody gives a teaching and then you're kind of trying to live it out and you go back to them and say, does this match what you were talking about? That's who they are. And that's what the Apostle Paul always did through his letters. He would come in and lay the, lay the foundation and then he would go away and then he would send letters back reminding them, this is what the blueprint is. This is what the blueprint is. Don't forget, this is what the blueprint is. How many times in Paul's letters do you see him say, don't you remember that when I taught you back in this time, it was like this. Don't you remember what I said to you about this issue? Because he's just reminding them over and over again. Here's the blueprint. This is the blueprint I've established. This is what it is. Okay. That's who the apostles are. Now, here's the downside to the apostolic ministry. If all you have is apostle and you don't have prophet, teacher, pastor, and evangelist alongside him, they're going to forget about people's needs and they're obsessed with mission. They can bulldoze people because they're incredibly driven. They're not detail-oriented. So when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it doesn't exist. Okay? And they are very big picture-oriented. They're constantly thinking, next, we're going to go to China. And you're like, but I need people in the nursery. <laughs> okay? That's, that's... That's it. That's the episode. That's the apostle. He's always like, he's always getting the blueprint from heaven saying, this is our next thing that we're supposed to do. And the people back here are going, I'm still trying to organize upward. Okay. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. Okay. Because apostle is not the only piece of the pie. Okay. There are four other gifts that need to be right there alongside him so that he can say, he can do the beginning part, which he's really good at. Apostle's great at doing the beginning part and then handing it off to someone else and saying, now make this happen. Okay, and then he comes up with the next beginning and then hands it off to someone and says, now make this happen. Okay, any questions about Apostle? None at all? And every one of you are going, am I Apostle? Am I, am I Prophet? What am I? You'll find out in a minute. <laughs> Okay. Prophets. Okay. They hear the voice of God and they speak the words of God. Prophets see everything in black and white all the time. Okay. Now, prophecy has two pieces. Okay. Foretelling and foretelling. Okay. Foretelling is a vision of the future and they are telling you what the future is going to be. Okay, that's foretelling. Foretelling is walking up to someone and say, God is saying this to you right now. And it may not have anything to do with the future. It may just be a word for them in this moment. 
Okay, those are the two pieces. There should be a whole lot more foretelling than foretelling. If you see a prophet majoring on the foretelling, they're probably out of whack. The biggest thing the prophet is supposed to do is hear what God is saying to the church right now. Almost always, it's going to completely harmonize with what an apostle has already put in place. Okay? Prophets are really good at coming in behind the apostle and saying, there's the blueprint, now here's the piece of the blueprint we need to work on today. Or rather than the piece of the blueprint we need to work on, the piece of the blueprint that God is highlighting in this moment. This church is organized around a principle called the church life model, which is built on the fivefold ministry gifts, by the way. And the question that's constantly being asked in the church life model is, where is the activity of God? So when we look at, okay, this next year, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to improve on? What are we going to work on? The question is, well, where's the breath of God at this moment? And it takes a prophetic person to be able to say, God is moving here and not there. Does that make sense to everybody? The prophet is always watching what the Holy Spirit's doing. Always. The prophet is constantly saying, what are you up to, Father? And then proclaiming that in the midst. They love to bring clarity where there's chaos. They love to bring conviction where there is, where there is mushiness. They love to... Um, come to certain to situations where it's not exactly clear, it's very gray, it's not black and white, and to say, no, it's this or this. That's what they're good at. And that's what we need them for. They apprehend the kingdom and then birth it, bringing it forth. I always call them spiritual midwives. This is what they do. They are big prayer people. They see what God's doing. They're like, ooh, God's doing that. And then they begin to just, to just speak it out and, and, and call it forth. And they're like, yeah, this is going on with you. And they're, they just get, they're like a pit bull with something in between their teeth. And they're not, you're going to have to kill this dog to get it to let go. Because that's what a prophet does. In the prayer room, they're just like, and they just go after stuff. And they're like, no, this is what God wants to do, Rah! right? And you, cannot, and, and you can't get them to back down. And they're like, let's go. Okay, this is, this is how Danny Silk talks about it. He says, They apprehend the promises of the kingdom for individual destinies and call them into reality through declaration. So when you get a prophetic person around you, they're going to look at you. First of all, they're going to know who you are like almost instantly. Which gets, that's why prophets are almost always lonely. Because number one, they can see exactly who people are. And number two, they're not, they're not at all embarrassed to tell people who they are. <laughs> this is something, Prophet's one of the high ones on mine, and this is a problem that I have. <laughs> because I'll just be talking to someone and I'll be like, well, because you're like this, right? And the people are kind of like, what? You're not supposed to know that about me. Like, And I have totally forgotten that that I I know this about them just because I'm operating as Prophet and I didn't realize that. And and I've totally freaked them out because I know something about them that I'm not, that no one else knows or very few people know. And I'm totally – I'm like tromping around on really private parts of their heart and, and I have no idea about it. And so prophets aren't good in crowds really like because cause like everybody else is just kind of you know being really nice to each other and small talking and the prophet's going to be like, 
Prophet's going to be like, what you said is wrong, you know, just like, cause that's just <laughs> that's who they are. And, and a lot of times they just don't have the ability to realize that, that, you know, maybe they should just shut up for the moment. Okay. That's just, that's who they are. Okay. I love, I, it's a great gift, but it can be, it can really, prophets can be real jerks sometimes. As they get older, they learn to speak truth in love. They learn to slowly communicate things where they could just be like, it's this, boom. Instead, they learn to kind of just like siphon it out like little pieces at a time and be like, you're beginning to see this. And then people kind of come, oh, 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 oh. And then, you know, the conviction will come and it won't be like a jackhammer. It's just going to be like, oh, I get it, you know. Um, but that is not where they begin. <laughs> okay. Uh, they give the gift of sight. Now remember that, that all of these gifts are um, given for the body and to the – what we're going to talk about at the end is this, this, this idea that each of these gifts has been given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that means if you see someone who has, who has a powerful apostolic or prophetic ministry – the people around them, even if they don't carry that ministry very well, are going to start operating in the apostolic and the prophetic. They just are. Because that's how these gifts work. They're contagious. And prophecy is one in particular that's very contagious. If you get into a prophetic environment, all of a sudden everybody's going to be just finishing each other's sentences and and and, and going to be like having dreams and visions. And there's gonna, You get into a prophetic environment where a prophetic anointing is, you know, and as really resting on one or two people in a group, all of a sudden the prophetic will will breathe out to the rest of that group and they'll begin to hear the voice of God better than they ever had before on their own without the prophet even having to do anything. That because that's how it's supposed to work. One of my favorite examples of this is in First Samuel 10, where where um Saul is there's this group of prophets with Samuel. Samuel's Samuel is in this place and there's all these other prophets around him and they're prophesying. And Saul keeps sending guys to talk to Samuel and to get him to come and help. And everybody that goes there just starts prophesying. <laughs> like he sends a first soldier and the soldier gets there and the soldier all of a sudden bleh, starts prophesying and just gets hit by the power of God. And then Saul's like, where is my guy? Well, he's been gone for like two days. So then he sends another guy and it happens to them, that guy too. And finally Saul just gets mad. So he goes himself and then Saul starts prophesying because this is what happens when the prophetic anointing is moving. It's contagious. And Saul was, Saul did not operate in the prophetic on his own. But when he comes into an environment where the prophetic is really powerful, all of a sudden he starts prophesying. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay. It's very real. I've seen it happen over and over again. And it's really kind of fun. One of the things that we always used to do in home missions was we would do uh, we would do prophecy rooms every summer, every summer. And so we would get a, a number of prophetic people and we'd put them in rooms. And then we'd have the kids go in three and four at a time. And the prophetic people would begin to – would just begin to – to speak the, the heart of the father over these kids. And we would record it and they would get a CD that they would take home, that kind of thing. Okay. And, uh, and the, those rooms, it was so funny because you could, I like, I would not be feeling anything prophetic at all. And then I would step into those rooms with like Bridget Simpson and Kurt Bowler. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'd be like, this is the Lord. Like it was just like, 
you know, because because when prophets get around other prophets, all of a sudden it's like all I can see is the spirit realm. It's just it's this crazy thing. And then the kids would come in and we'd just be like, you know, they just and then then they would all go back to the prayer room and start prophesying over each other. Why? Because the prophetic gift is just just contagious. It's sticky. Okay, because truth is that all of these are that way. Haven't you been sitting listening to a teacher teach? And all of a sudden, some other part of scripture just like opens up to you and you're like, oh, yeah. that's because these gifts are, are contagious. When you're sitting under the anointing of someone who has one of these gifts, you begin to flow in that gift a little bit. That's why I do some of my best studying like while someone else is preaching. Really? Because they start teaching and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will like, Psh! and I'm like, ooh, there's this thing that, you know, this problem, this scriptural problem I've been working on. And all of a sudden I have new insight on it. Oh my gosh. So I will just write, you know, start writing stuff out. This morning I got a great sermon in while we were listening to my dad uh, do the teach this morning. So I just totally went bloop, over here and started writing stuff out that had nothing to do with what we were going to be praying about. But you have permission to do that. And I know dad would give us that permission too. If the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you, you need to listen. What he's saying is a lot more important than any what any human is saying. So if that happens in this class, you have my permission to just go, you know, be in your own little world and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit. So these gifts. Now, downside to the prophetic. We've already talked about it a little bit, but they can be harsh. They can be too black and white and not very compassionate. Okay, they're very good at that. <laughs> they can be extremely impatient because they're out, you know, they're five steps in front of you and they're like, why don't you catch up to me? Okay, they can be extremely impatient. Um, they can be prideful because they're hearing the voice, they're hearing the voice of God. So they can, they can be, they can be, pride is something that every prophet has to, has to wrestle with. Um, and they can be condemning rather than inspirational. One way that you know when the prophetic is operating and not operating out of love is when you feel guilty rather than feel hopeful. Yeah. Same. This is the, it's how it works. So be careful of the downside, you prophets. Speak in love. You should care more about the person you're prophesying over than you do about the message you're giving them. Come on, that was a good word. Somebody write that down. <laughs> you should care more about the person you're prophesying over than you do about the word you're giving them. I'll say it again. You should care more about the person you're prophesying over than you do about the word that you're giving them. That's really, it's important. And prophets have a problem with that. They really do. Because they're burning with this word. They're like, wah! They, they, just, and they don't care if it destroys you. They just, uh, just rah! You know, just... I had... This is this might I don't I don't know what you'll do with this, but I had this experience a few years ago, this visionary experience where the Lord showed me what a prophetic ministry is going to look like in the millennial kingdom. 
this, this may completely freak you out, but this is the this is uh, what I saw, and it was I was a prophet from the from the the from the prophetic school of Fort Wayne. Truly, and and I was given a word by the Lord to deliver to a church that was nearby. And I was actually given specific clothing to wear when I went to that church to deliver this word. And when I got to that church, they stopped me at the edge of the property. And they said, we will allow you to come. We want to hear what the Lord has to say to us. We have to ask that you do not speak it aloud because we are still repairing the structural damage from the earthquake that happened the last time you prophesied over this place. <laughs> and and that it was that that's all there was to the to that picture. But this is the voice of God is what formed the universe. You realize that. And when it begins to echo through a human vessel, there is authority released. That it is, the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So you, we have to understand how we deliver it. And you can come like Moses on top of the mountain and just beat people into submission. Or you can come with love and you can deliver it in a way that's not going to bring destruction, but that's going to bring life. And it's up to the prophet to know how to do that. And that was what I took from that picture. Anyway. All right, Teachers. These teachers are the breakers of the bread. They make the Bible clear. Okay? Teachers do not decide what's in the Bible. Listen to this, because teachers love to do this. Teachers love to decide what the Bible says and not to just tell you what it says. Teachers, be careful about that. They make the Bible clear. They bring clarity to biblical passages. Teachers dive deep to bring treasures out from the word that are not easily found. Teachers dive deep to bring treasures out from the word that are not easily found. Okay. Teachers equip the body to understand God through his word and by his spirit. They give people the tools to to interpret and understand the word of God. So that's the job of the teacher. They bring clarity. You, have you ever known a teacher that was able to just say one sentence and all of a sudden a concept that you didn't understand just, oh, okay. That's the teacher gift. That's what teachers are for. They make the complex simple. You know, the teacher loves to run down little errant things in the, you know, they, they, they know all the little tiny details that don't really matter. Okay. And, and, and they're really good at kind of bringing all of that complexity and just bring it to a focus and saying, this is what you need to know. They're really good at taking something that is, that is really kind of, wow, I don't even know how to wrap my brain about that and beginning to give you ways to understand it that you didn't have before. They're good at, at creating word pictures that help you to understand what's going on. Okay, like Danny Silk did with the car with the car accident. Okay? It's it's a picture that gives you an understanding of how this thing works. Okay? 
Now, downside for teachers. They have trouble with things they cannot understand. There is a whole lot in the Bible that is just mysterious, and teachers hate it. So they will find a way to explain it to you, even if it's wrong. That's how we end up with things like hyper-Calvinism. I'm a Calvinist, but I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. I'm not going to the place where, you know, that's how we end up with, you know, these, these complete, these systems of thought, which are, which are not biblical at all, but that have their, they have their roots in the Bible, but they've gone completely over here. Usually that is a teacher trying to explain something in the word that they do not understand. So they build a bridge from here to there with human thought. Okay. Which that bridge does not exist in the word and they should just get rid of it, but they do it. And whole churches have been built on these bridges when they aren't the word. Teachers have got to be careful about that. Leave something to mystery. It is okay. You don't need to fully understand it. And the people you're teaching don't need to fully understand it. Okay? Um, they have a compulsive need to be right. I've been watching The Office, and there's Oscar, and it is always like going, actually, this, da 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 da, and like adding some other like fact to the conversation. It's because Oscar's a teacher. That's the way it works. Okay? That they're the one that always has, that always is one upping you on the trivia of whatever it is. No, the truth is, it's like this. This is where my teacher snottiness comes out in a big way. Because that, that's why I know how Unix P is because I have to know everything about everything. It's just like part of my nature, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's my not. It's my job not to go there. Okay, it's my job. Not to not to like flaunt knowledge in front of and make make myself feel better by by saying I know something you don't know. Okay, that's that's teachers love to do that. Okay, they love to argue because they usually win. <laughs> and the final piece, teachers are not usually connected very well with mission. Mission. They love to just sit over here and talk about Jesus all day long, but to actually go tell a lost person about Jesus and minister to them, they're kind of like, can we just stay in class? I'm enjoying this discussion. When Jesus is like, go ye into all the world, come on. You know this, you taught on it last week. Okay. All right, evangelists, we are like out of time. All right, we only have two more. Evangelists, all right, it's really simple. Reach the lost and train others how to reach the lost, period. That's it. That's all they do. That's all they care about. That's all they want to do, which makes them awesome. It also makes them terrible. Okay, we love them because they're like, the lost, the lost, the lost, the lost. You don't care enough about the lost. Okay, that's just who they are. They're just always like, oh, the only class they want to teach is the class on teaching people how to reach the lost. They don't want to do anything else. And every question is, is it reaching the lost? It's like, we want to have a birthday party. Can I invite lost people? It's not. 
Okay, here's here's the downside. They can be so focused on winning the loss that they don't care about the body. Evangelists tend to get really mad at the body of Christ because the, the body of Christ just cares doesn't care enough about the lost, which they're right. The body of Christ doesn't care enough about the lost. But hello, evangelist. The body of Christ has other things to do too. Okay? They get angry with the body often for not caring enough about the lost. They tend not to care very much about someone once they've been converted. It's just true. Evangelists, it's how they are. I got you saved. I never want to see you again. Next. That's just who they are. Okay? They don't, they're not, they make terrible pastors because they just want to get more people saved and they don't care about discipling anybody. They're just like, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in. Don't talk to me. You're in, you're in, you're in. That's all they want to do. But that's not what Jesus' command was. Go into all the world and what? Make? Thank you. That's what he said. Now we're so grateful for the evangelists and helping us to go into all the world, but we need to make disciples at the same time. That's what I'm saying. None of these gifts is, is, you cannot have just one. You've got to have all five operating at the same time or else you're going to be imbalanced. And finally, pastors. Okay, they're the shepherds. They take care of the flock. They communicate the comfort of God. They bring the correction of God. They're the ones that stand, that walk next to you and say, you know what? Uh, this this issue in your life, I've been watching for a while, and this issue in your life isn't exactly where it needs to be. And then and they're able to speak to you in such a way that you're both, have you ever been corrected by my dad, anybody in this room? I, I'll tell you, go into his office, you're going to be shaking in your boots, okay? Because it's Pastor Rod. I mean, I'm even that way sometimes, especially, I mean, he's my boss, but, you know, he will, you will leave his, his office Deeply corrected and incredibly encouraged at the same time. <laughs> because he's a pastor. This is just who he is. You're just going to be walking out going, I totally just got like, how is it that he just ripped me a new one and I feel great about it? <laughs> That's because he's a pastor. That's what pastors are really good at. Okay? They bring correction from God. They're the ones walking with the sheep. They pick up and carry the weak ones with them. Okay? That's, that's what they do. When they see a weak one, they pick him up and carry him. Now, here's the downside. They tend to be so focused on the need of the body that they forget mission. They're kind of the polar opposite of evangelist. Okay? They're so focused on what the body needs that they forget to do mission. Um, they can be overwhelmed by the amount of need they encounter. And they walk into a room and they're like, oh, there's so many people there. And they just get completely overwhelmed because there's all this need everywhere. Okay? They can be exhausted because they keep giving until they have nothing left. That's who pastors are. They're the ones that stay in council until like midnight. They're the ones that, you know, they're just, they keep giving, 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 and then they have nothing left. They tend to lead, speak, and teach out of need rather than vision. They're not about moving forward. They're about making sure that everybody is okay. So pastors, and that's why in uh, Culture of Honor, he says pastors shouldn't be really be the leaders of the church. Because all they want to do is keep the body, make sure the body is okay. And they don't want to move forward. 
Now, please understand that everyone who carries the title of pastor is not a pastor. That's just what we call the leaders of our churches in, in, in our you know, culture. We call them pastor. But the truth is, a lot of them are apostles, a lot of them are prophets, a lot of them are teachers, and a lot of them are evangelists, but we call them pastor anyway. Pastor was my lowest score. By quite a bit. Because this is the one, this is one I'm not good at this. I don't want, I don't want to hear you whine. I'm not interested. I, it's just really, it's really true. I am not good at sitting there and holding your hand and going, it's going to be okay. I'm just not good at that. I'm really not. You do not want me to come over when you're sick. You just don't because I'm going to come over and I'm going to be like, oh, you know, if you hadn't been doing this, you wouldn't have been here. Because okay. my prophet's going to come out. I have trouble not talking to the 500-pound man in the hospital about it. You know, if you would just not eaten all those Twinkies. You know, I mean, it's just, it is really hard. Because that's the prophet in me coming out. Prophet in me is going is just calling sin sin. Now the teacher, listen, the teacher's gonna go in and say, here's your 12-step plan to start losing weight. I'm just that's what the teacher does. Just telling you. This is why I really don't enjoy hospital visits, because because I, I, I want to go in with and be me in that environment, and it's very – I can't. I cannot walk in there and exercise my two most, my two most prevalent gifts. I have to I have to. okay, i got to be a shepherd. i got to be a pastor. i got to take care of this person. And that's not, that's not my normal bent. That doesn't mean I shouldn't do it, and I do still make hospital visits, specifically because I need to minister to the body. That is a big deal. Very important that I do so. It's important that I remember that pastor needs to be a part of what I'm doing. All right. Uh, one more analogy, and then I'll actually let's. Well, one more analogy. Yeah, come and get him. Jesus is the bestower. All right. Start passing them out. Here's the, here's the analogy of the flock, okay? Check this out. Apostle, ima imagine you have a flock of sheep that need to go to the pastures up in the mountains to graze. Okay, the apostle says, here's the map to where you're going. If you walk in such and such formation, you'll be safer. Only walk during the day and the rest of the night. Now go. Okay? That's what the apostle says. The prophet says, look at the map, and points to the mountain saying, look, I can see it. Can you see it? It's right there. No, not over there. Right there. That's where we're headed. Go. Go there. No, I'm not going to walk you there. You're a big boy. You can walk yourself. It's right there. Keep walking. That's prophet. Teacher says, here's how you avoid the rocks and the crevices. If you eat this kind of plant, you get sick, so don't eat those. When you get there, it'll look like this. That's what, that's what teacher says. Pastor says, come on, I'll hold your hand, and I'll walk you from here to there, and I'll pick you up when you fall. And evangelist says, come join the flock. We're going someplace good. Okay, that's how it works. Earlier when I said the Sith Lord. The Sith Lord. I knew it. Come on, get him passed out. Let's go. He's like, oh, and a few minutes later, he's like, hey there, man. <laughs> he's like, just got what I was saying. Oh. Oh. 
Huh? Can you? No. Huh? I just wanted you to see him. All right. Okay. Who's? Where are? Where are our apostles? Apostle was number one for me. I had a 33 in apostle. That's me. Only three years ago, Apostle was my third rank, and right now it's my first. Is that weird or what? So that's Apostle. Who, where's our prophets? Prophets, you scored high in profit. Where are you? Where's my prophets? Prophets! Awesome. Prophet was prophet was 32 for me. I had a 32 in prophet. A 33 apostle, 32 in prophet. Okay, where are our uh, our teachers? Oh, very nice. All right. Let's just look at your look at your score. What your score was? That's okay. Did you get a 30 in teacher also? Okay. I had a 30 for teacher. Where are our evangelists? This isn't right. I'm not. Apparently you are. All right. And where's our pastors? Technically. Awesome. Those two are really close. Beautiful. All right. Listen up. Let me just say, if you are surprised by the answer that you got, it is okay. I was totally surprised by the answer that I got. Truly, I was. But I want you to begin to think about it. Because you answered the questions the way that you did for a reason. And there's a reason why I had you take the test before I told you about each one of these things. I wanted you to take the test without thinking, oh, what answer is this going to give me? You see? I want you to think about the scores that you got. I don't want you to be disappointed in any way, but I want you to begin to ask the question, okay, how does this work? Who am I in, the, in, in life? Who, what is this? Why did I end up with that answer? There was a full 15-point spread for me between my highest gift and my lowest, which is a lot. After you missed Dromo, I was like, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> I was, I didn't, I was a little, I was surprised by evangelist too. I knew I wasn't gonna be prophet. I knew I wasn't gonna be teacher. I was in denial. Yeah. I knew what I was. I was surprised by evangelist. I wasn't surprised by a teacher. I do like, I like, I do like the breakfast all the time. All right, cool. Who has questions? Anybody have questions at this point? I'll give you another test if you want. But I'm telling you, that's the right answer. If you retake the test now, knowing what it already is, you're going to skew all your answers. I have a question, actually. I just thought it was a good question. 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 I just thought it was
And those are my, they're like really close.